Well, making ourselves known is something we're usually very cautious about, isn't it? Uh, I'm not talking about going to a party and there's extroverts there and they make themselves known within five minutes. Everybody knows them. I, I'm talking about really making yourself known, uh, opening up, uh, letting people know where you are, where you're at in your heart and mind, being genuinely open with people and making yourself known. That's, that's something we're usually quite guarded with and for good reason. Uh, we live in a fallen world and so we're not sure what people are going to do with what we tell them, um, how they'll react. It can be hard to trust people, uh, but not just other people. We, we've all got secrets and things we're ashamed of. There's things in our own lives we, we don't want to open up with and be honest with. Making ourselves known something we're guarded about. Thankfully, God isn't. God's not scared of anyone. God's got nothing to be embarrassed about. And God Almighty, in his graciousness, makes himself known. We're starting the series in the book of Exodus and the entire book, page after page, incident after incident, is all about God making himself known. And this morning as we look at chapters 1 to 6, we'll see that what God wants known about him is that he is faithful. That even when life around you screams out at you that, that God's not here and God has left you, God wants us to know him as our faithful God. He always, always keeps his promises. So we'll have a look. It is going to be a quick look because we're covering six chapters this morning. Uh, so hopefully you've read it beforehand and please keep doing that as we go through the book of Exodus. Uh, we can't just jump straight into Exodus though because we need to uh, very quickly just uh, get a, a bit of context because uh, we're actually partway through a story. And in terms of what we're looking at, it really starts in Genesis chapter 12. You don't need to look it up. Um, but in Genesis chapter 12, God makes some promises to a man called Abram. And those promises really form the foundation of everything else that follows, especially what we're going to be reading in the book of Exodus. So let me remind you very briefly of the three promises that God made to Abram. He said to Abram, I promise that I will make out of you a nation. A people will come out of you. I'm going to give them a land. And in that land, I will bless them. In fact, I'll bless the entire world through them. So God promised Abram a nation that would live in the promised land of Canaan and he would bless them. Fast forward three or four hundred years, you get to Exodus chapter one. And there are indeed many descendants from this man called Abram, but they're not in the land of Canaan. They're in the land of Egypt. And that's been good for Egypt. Lots of good things have happened to Egypt because the Israelites have been there. But now, at this time, three or four hundred years down the track, there's a new king in Egypt, a new pharaoh, and he doesn't know the past. And he looks out at all these descendants of this man Abram, all these Hebrew people, and he gets worried that they'll turn against him. And so in chapter 1 of the book of Exodus, he strikes out against the Hebrew people. And in the process, he dismantles the three promises of God to Abram. So in chapter 1, uh, we'll, um, very quickly I'll summarize it for you. Uh, the Pharaoh firstly makes the people slaves and he's trying to squash their numbers and yet still they multiply. So phase 2 of Pharaoh's plan is he gets the Hebrew midwives in and he says whenever a baby boy is to be born you are to kill it. But they refuse and so the people still keep multiplying. And so phase three of Pharaoh's plan to squash the Israelites is awful. Have a look at it. Chapter 1 verse 22, the last verse of the chapter. 
Try and imagine yourself as a Hebrew person at this time. Verse 22, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. A nationwide program to wipe out every boy that's born to the Hebrew people. An awful, awful verse. And so we get to the end of chapter 1 and those great promises of God have been basically dismantled. Yes, there are many descendants of this man Abram, but they're not God's people. They're Pharaoh's people. They belong to him. And they're not in the promised land of Canaan. They're in the land of Egypt. And they're not blessed by God. They're enslaved by Pharaoh with their boys being drowned. And it's into the terror of chapter 1 where the promises of God seemingly flushed away. Chapter 2 sees God remember his promises. And just a word on that idea of remembering his promises. Uh, God doesn't forget things. Uh, It's not that God sort of made his promises, forgot about them, and then someone gives him a nudge. And he goes, oh, whoops, better do something about these promises. I made no. When the Bible speaks of God remembering, it just means that he is about to act on those promises. And as we read chapter 2, we see it in the miraculous salvation of Moses, one particular boy out of all the boys that are being drowned. God would save his people, and so he saves this one particular one. But the next thing we know about Moses is he's killing somebody, murdering, gets found out, Pharaoh hunts him down, he runs away, goes to Midian and he settles down and has family and life and and in the many years of his time away, things get worse for the Hebrew people. But God remembers his promise to Abraham. Right down to the end of chapter 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help Because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. As we read those verses, it is a massive case of watch this space. Because we've just read that God remembered his covenant with Abraham. In other words, he's about to act on it. And so as we go to chapter 3, we might be expecting God to rush in and to deliver his people. He's remembered his promises. He's about to act on them. And his promises, remember, are to have a people in his land so that he could bless them. And if he's going to act on those promises, surely what is he going to do but rush in and deliver his people out? But it's not what he does. He doesn't just rush in. He doesn't just save them. Friends, before we have a look at chapter 3, that's a bit like today, isn't it? God knows his people all over the world. He knows the suffering that his people have to endure, but he hasn't just stepped in and saved us from it all. Jesus Christ, he hasn't come back yet. There's something more, something bigger going on. God's chief concern is that his people know him. And so back in Exodus, in chapter 3, it begins with God, again, dealing with Moses because God is going to make himself known to him. Moses, at this time, he's an adult, he's married, he's a shepherd. Everything's rather normal for him. But in chapter 3, we're taken to a day where normal is checked at the door. Uh, Moses, this day, is tending the flock. He sees a bush on fire. It's burning, but it doesn't burn up. So he goes over and God speaks to him from the bush. 
Have a look, chapter 3, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, you've got a feel for poor Moses, I reckon. I mean, this is a God that Moses has only heard of. Ancient accounts of this God from his fathers. Three or four hundred years, we haven't heard anything from him. And after all these years, this God is speaking again. And out of all the people he's chatting to Moses, out of a bush that's on fire, but it doesn't burn up, And God tells him that he's heard the crying out of his people and he's come down to rescue them and to give them a new land. Skip down to verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now it's at that mention of God telling Moses that he's got to go to Pharaoh, that Moses takes the first of his five steps backwards. He doesn't want to go. His first objection is that he's a nobody. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? And God says, don't worry about that. I will be with you. And so Moses comes back at God and says, okay, sure, fine, you'll be with me. But who are you? What's your name? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's a little bit confusing, isn't it? It's not quite the way we talk. But there are tremendous ideas in here. When God says, I am who I am, he's basically saying, I simply exist. I'm defined in and of myself without any reference to anyone or anything else. I am. And that's very different to you and me. When we're asked who we are, we will speak in terms of other people and other things, and we can't help that because we're not an island. So take me, for example. I have a beginning. I'm the son of Tony and Faye. I now have a wife and three kids. Uh, Other people are my friends. Because of all the many influences on my life and the different people that have been in my life and the different situations I've been involved with, that, that has shaped who I am today. Who I am is unavoidably caught up in other people. And in the events of my life, I simply can't help being the product of the people and the things around me. Not God. Who is he? He just is. I am who I am. He was, he is, he will be, he just is. He's not dependent on anyone or anything else. He doesn't, he's not dependent on anyone for his existence, for his meaning, or for his definition. He is self-sufficient, self-defining, he just is. Which means if we're to get to know him, he has got to reveal himself. Because you can't turn to anyone else to discover him. That's one of the reasons why our Bibles are so essential for us in our Christian life. It's in his word that God tells us who he is. We're not to make him up. 
We're not to imagine him like we'd want him to be. We're to simply read his word and listen to him as he tells us who he is. The scriptures are our authority, the word of God himself. To know God, he has to tell us. And that's exactly what he does for Moses, the very next verse in chapter 3. And the first thing he wants to be known about himself is that he is faithful. Look at uh, verse 15, and as I read it, just look for how God speaks of his promises and how he will faithfully keep them. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go. Assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites. You see, who is Moses to say has spoken to him? The God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who made those promises. That is the one who has spoken to me. That is the one who is now speaking to you. It is the one who promised, who would bring us into a land, and he has come to bring us into that land. God is going to keep those promises. God is making himself known as the faithful God. And even though just about everyone else is going to resist God in keeping his promises, he is going to keep them. What comes next in chapters 3, 4, and 5 is we just get person after person resisting God in keeping his promises, but God keeps saying, no, 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 I will keep my promises. I am faithful. So look at chapter 3, verse 19. God predicts that Pharaoh will resist him. Chapter 3, verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. Pharaoh's resistance won't stop God being faithful to his promises. He will bring them out. Now, as grand as this revelation of God is, it's Moses' turn to resist God in keeping his promises. Because all this talk, it sounds like a great rescue plan, but Moses just wants someone else involved. He doesn't want to be the one to go and confront the mighty Pharaoh. And so he keeps throwing excuses at God. Hopefully you've read them. Uh, In chapter 4 he says things like, if I tell this to the people, they're not going to believe me. He then says, but I've never been a good speaker. And his peers to resistance, his greatest argument of all is, just please send somebody else. But God will save his people. God will use Moses as his messenger. And so Moses has to go. Nothing will stop God keeping his promises. So Moses heads back to Egypt. His brother Aaron has been spoken to by God to meet Moses on the way. Together they go to the Hebrews and they tell them all that their God has said and the people believe and they worship God. And so Moses in chapter 5 then with Aaron goes to see Pharaoh. But as expected, things don't go so well. Chapter 5 verse 1. Afterward, chapter 5 verse 1, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. 
Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to your work. Just as God said Pharaoh would resist, resist he does. And, as we keep reading in chapter 5, he makes life even harder. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, they are to make bricks for these cities that they're building. Pharaoh, though, provides the straw for them. But now in chapter 5, he will not do that anymore. And so they have to go and find their own straw. But they have to make the same number of bricks. And the slave masters make life unbearable for the Hebrews. They are brutally being treated. And so the Hebrew foremen, they go to Pharaoh, but they're just shut down. And so the Hebrew foremen then go to Moses and Aaron. Pick it up in verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 20. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You've made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So the foreman complained to Moses and Aaron. And so Moses takes the complaint to God himself. Verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. And with all this strife and bitterness and anger and frustration and complaining and brutal treatment of God's people, with everyone resisting God and keeping his word, maybe now God will save them. No, he won't. Not now. Now is the time for more revelation. Now is the time for God to repeat his promises because what he wants more than anything else is for his people to know God. So God's response, chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord." His response to the terrifying events of chapter 5 and chapter 1 is to repeat his promises, to tell his people, I am the Lord, I am faithful, I will keep my promises. Because if you put yourselves in the shoes of the Hebrew people at that time, God could have saved them in an instant. Could have saved them in an instant. He could have destroyed Pharaoh and Egypt in a flash, brought his people out, in an instant. But instead, 
for six chapters, he gives them his promises. He reminded them that he is faithful. There's something more going on here than just getting the Hebrews out of a pickle. It's that they would know him. God wanted them to know him, that he is faithful. And so he repeated his promises to them. Now just take a step back for a moment. Try and see the bird's eye view of chapters 1 to 6. Basically two things have kept happening. One, we keep being reminded of the harsh, brutal treatment of the Hebrew people. And two, we keep being reminded of God not saving them yet, but instead keeping on speaking his promises to them. God keeps making himself known as the faithful God. Now, he will save them, and we'll see that next week. But for now, the more important thing is that his people know him as their faithful God. And that's the same today for you and me. As we wait for our salvation, we are to know our God, that he is faithful. The Hebrews at the time of Exodus 6, all they could do was look forward and hope that God would be faithful. We, though, we get to look back and to know that God is faithful. And not just that he did save the Israelites, because we've read Exodus before, but we look back and we know that God promised to send not just a saviour of the Hebrews, but the saviour of the world. And Jesus Christ has already come. We know that God promised to save people, not just from a hostile nation, but from sin and death itself. And Jesus Christ did. God promised to save us from our guilt and our shame. Jesus Christ has died. God promised that he would bring for his people eternal life. He would bring them forever new life in an unspoiled new creation. And Jesus Christ has secured it already in his resurrection from the dead. All of God's grand promises, they find their yes in Jesus. We look back to Jesus Christ and we know that God is faithful. And so, brothers and sisters, when you find yourselves in a parallel situation, a similar situation to the Hebrew people of the beginning of Exodus, not that you'll be enslaved, I hope that won't happen, but when you're surrounded by trouble and distress... Know your God. He is faithful. Your circumstances might try and convince you otherwise, but know your God. He is faithful. Could be any number of struggles that we are dealing with. For you, it might be ill health, the trouble of being sick, and possibly it's going to be with you for a long, long time. Maybe it's the struggle of there's strife in your family and you're not sure how it's ever going to be resolved. It could be that you've got concern for loved ones, for their physical and spiritual well-being. You're just not sure they're going to make it. It could be a relationship breakdown and it's just a burden, a cloud above you that never seems to go away. It could be the struggle of having lost or losing loved ones. They might have died. It might be that they're losing their memory and they're not, you're not sure if they're going to remember you. It might be the struggle of your own personal sin and the struggles you have in trying to live a life for God. 
There might be mental health issues, suffering from things like depression. And this world just seems to you at times an impossible place to live. And you can look at it all and you can wonder, where is God in all of this? Brothers and sisters, know your God. He is faithful. In Christ, he has been faithful. In Christ, God will be faithful. As surely as day follows night, his son will return. God has promised that Jesus is coming. And he will. And so as we wait and look forward to our great day of salvation, know your God. He will save you. He will keep his promises. So trust your God. Love your God. Honour your God. Obey your God. Have faith in your God because he is faithful. He always has been. He always will be.